I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Movie Podcast. Uh, we are a show that delves into the world of cinema and explores what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zachary Rancourt, and every week I usually bring Amanda Jane Stern in with me, and it's no change this week, but I, we like to add on other film enthusiasts to analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or a, just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we explore the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. And there you go. Uh, Amanda Jane Stern has been on the show for a little while now, so it's been uh, a lot of fun. We're going to continue <laughs> going crazy for Swayze in September. Yes, we are. <laughs> and I'm, I'm excited. How are, how are you, Amanda? I am also excited. We already covered my favorite Swayze last week so oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god my mom called me <laughs> yesterday and she goes what's roadhouse and i go mom it's the movie that came out in 1989 she goes yeah but why are you posting about it because i podcasted about it and she goes oh so so sam elliott huh oh man <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I got to douse you with like a fire extinguisher. You were getting thirsty that episode. Oh, boy. My uh, my fiance actually wants to put together a um, like a reel of, of my thirstiness for Sam Elliott to just clips of him in the movie. Oh, man. Yeah, you were going crazy about it. It was funny. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> so. That was the one. That was the one that was going to. There are a couple other movies where I'll get like that, but that was one of the ones that's that and like, I don't know, bound. <laughs> Mm, okay. <laughs> That's, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. And like, for all the reasons we talked about it, it just I had I had to reflect on what you were talking about. And I and I get it. And he's, <laughs> for, for me, it's the voice for him. He's great. Mm -hmm. So the voices. Yeah. The voice really, I mean, oof, the voice. Anyway, we're talking well, ghosts. Well, we are. We are discussing Ghost from 1990, moving it up a year from uh, that 89 Roadhouse to 1990, Patrick mm -hmm. Swayze's next venture. The Ghost was directed by Jerry Zucker, of all people. Um, Jerry Zucker is uh, the other half of the Zucker brothers, who famously did Airplane, Top Secret, and the Police Squad movies, which or TV show, which ended up being The Naked Gun. Uh, it was written by Bruce Joel Rubin, who he actually won an Oscar for this role. Um, or for this, uh, for best screenplay, I believe. Stars Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, Oscar winner Whoopi Goldberg for this role as well, Tony Goldwyn, and Rick Aviles. Not that many big name people. There is a little Stephen Root action. Uh, Stephen Root famously for the, you know, the office space, the Have You Seen My Stapler, um, and other amazing roles. Uh, most, most recently, Barry, which he crushed it in and was absolutely incredible. But he has a very small cameo in this film. Um, critically, Ghost uh, crushed it on IMDb with a 7.1 out of 10, which is very interesting. Rotten Tomatoes, 75% uh, on the tomato meter there. So 75% of critics really liked Ghost and 80% for the audience score. So this was a critically acclaimed film and it was uh, loved by many, by 80% of the population, apparently, according to Rotten Tomatoes, if you want to believe in that stuff. Um, <laughs> Ghost is streaming on HBO Max. That's how I watched it. Amanda, did you watch it any yeah, other way? Yeah, same. No, that's, that's the only place it's uh, streaming, I think. It's the easiest. HBO Max is the best, in my opinion. But I think uh, it's just called Max now. Oh, damn. Okay, whatever. Max. It used to be the best. <laughs> Their search functionality is not great anymore. It used to be really easy to search through, and now it's Zaslav. I agree with you. Um, it's it is it is frustrating at times because yeah. when you click on like featured, it's mostly TV shows, and I don't want to watch TV shows when I go to Max. I want movies. Same. It's the only it's the only way I, I can do it, and. It gets kind of frustrating when it's like, do you want to watch how to make a cake show or whatever else is going on? Is it cake? And I'm like, I don't care about that stuff. I want awesome movies. Yeah, I used it for the classics and it used to have that great. You could just go to the side and there's the entire section for the yeah. Turner classic movies. And it, yeah, the functionality is gone. I it, go back to the way you were. Fuck you, David Zaslav. But hey, writers <laughs> won the strike. So yeah, fuck yeah. you, David Zaslav. And I'm, all the other AMPTP assholes. 
I'm very happy about that. And it's, I'm, I'm glad that we're going to get some amazing content. I'm glad that they have their protections in place. Uh, mm-hmm. There's going to be. They still need to, to go back to the table with SAG. Yeah. And that'll be, that'll be interesting. But um, who knows how it'll all unfold, right? Let's, let's fingers crossed and hope for the best. Mm hmm. Because if the writers are writing on this great stuff, that's, that's all well and good. But if they mm-hmm. don't negotiate with SAG, no one's making it. You can't make movies without actors. That's true. You just if make you think books. AI writing is bad, try AI actors. Those don't even look like humans. They're so uncanny. Like <laughs> AI writing is just wrong. It feels like an alien. It, it's it's non, it has no heart. AI mm. acting is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine what lifeless, uh, you know, <laughs> creatures would be on, on screen for that. That'd be very boring to watch. <laughs> be scary. And they have um, weird hands. With four <laughs> fingers. Uh, Ghost had an estimated budget of $22 million. In the U.S. and Canada, it grossed uh, $217.6 million. So very, very, very successful. Opening weekend was July 15th, 1990, where it made $12.2 million. And then worldwide, it grossed $505.7 million. So a highly, highly successful film. A lot of that was probably because of Patrick Swayze. Um, I, I would imagine he was that box office draw. Demi Demi Moore was a good was a big actor at the time, but not a box office draw. And this is the movie that made her like that huge, huge star. Crazy for Swayze. Absolutely. A couple fun facts, a few fun facts, I should say. The role of Oda Mae Brown was not written with Whoopi Goldberg in mind, but Patrick Swayze, an admirer of hers, convinced the producers that she would be right for the part. And man, did she nail it. She is so good. Um, Patrick Swayze said that the pottery scene was the sexiest thing he had ever done on film other than ripping people's throats out. I agree. That is uh, that's sexy. Screenwriter Bruce Joel Rubin wanted Patrick Swayze to play Sam Wheat after he saw an interview Swayze gave. When he brought up his father, Swayze became emotional and began to weep. Rubin thought if a macho guy like Patrick Swayze could cry over a loved one, he'd be perfect for this movie. And I like that a lot. It shows that Dalton has a soft spot. He can he can cry a little bit. We knew that. That's I why know. he's such a good icon <laughs> of masculinity. It's all the Tai Chi that he did. <laughs> exactly. It's all that philosophy bullshit. Exactly. And then finally, the role of Molly Jensen was given to Demi Moore, largely in part because Moore could cry out of either eye on cue. And she really does nail it at the end there. That's one of the more iconic scenes that I remember from Ghost is her with that mm-hmm. single tear going down at the end when, you know, spoilers, she says bye to him. It's, it's, it's really sad. And I found myself tearing up a lot in this movie. Um, I think that it, it's not because it's necessarily a good movie, in my opinion. I think it's more because of what it deals with and that kind of whole um, chance to unfinished business and chance to say goodbye. And, and we'll get more into that once we have our discussion. But um, I, I really think that was an effective use of, of the crime between her and Patrick Swayze. So for anyone who hasn't seen Ghost, uh, it's on Max. Go watch it. If you don't want to, you're crazy. But I don't blame you. Here is a synopsis. It's filled with spoilers. Uh, Skip ahead five minutes if you don't want to hear it. Banker Sam Wheat and his girlfriend, artist Molly Jensen, renovate and move into a Manhattan loft with the help of Sam's friend and coworker, Carl Bruner. One night after attending the theater with Molly, Sam is killed when a mugger tries to steal his wallet. Sam is shocked to realize he is a ghost, but when the angels appear to take his soul to heaven, he returns to Molly. Weeks later, in an effort to raise her spirits, Carl takes Molly for a walk. When the mugger enters their apartment in search of something a few minutes later, Sam scares the cat into attacking him and he flees. Sam follows the mugger, Willie Lopez, back to his apartment and learns that the mugging was planned when Willie makes a call to an unknown person. He promises to return to Sam and Molly's apartment to continue looking for what he came through. After leaving Willie's apartment, Sam came across charlatan Oda Mae Brown's psychic reading parlor, where she works with her sisters. When Oda Mae hears Sam's voice, she realizes she must have inherited her mother's true psychic gift. Sam pesters Oda Mae by singing to her all night until she agrees to tell Molly about Willie. Molly goes to the police, who have no criminal file for Willie Lopez, but they show her Oda Mae's lengthy record that includes fraud charges and several aliases, leaving Molly disheartened. Sam eventually discovers it was Carl who had Willie attack him to obtain his book, his book of bank passwords in order to transfer laundered money for drug dealers into one account under the fictitious name Rita Miller. Determined to protect Molly, Sam enlists the help of a poltergeist haunting the New York subway to teach him how to move physical objects. Afterwards, 
Sam convinces Otome to pose as Rita Miller and withdraw the money, which he has her give to charity. Four million dollars! Sam starts to haunt Carl, who becomes frantic to find the money once he realizes it has been withdrawn. Uh, Carl visits Molly and learns that Otome was the person who initiated the withdrawal. Sam warns Otome and her sisters and instructs them to hide just before Carl and Willie arrive. Sam terrorizes Willie until he runs screaming into the street and is killed after being struck by a car. As Carl flees, demons drag Willie's soul to hell. Sam and Otome return to his apartment, where Sam levitates a penny towards Molly to confirm his presence. After Molly calls the police, Otome lets Sam possess her body, and he slowly dances with Molly, unaware that using her body saps his energy. Carl forces his way into Molly's apartment, while she and Otome flee upstairs. Carl holds Molly at gunpoint and demands the money Otome withdrew from the bank. Sam, now, re Sam, now recovered, frees her and pushes a heavy scaffold onto Carl, crippling him. In desperation, Carl swings a metal hook at Sam before trying to escape through a window. The hook swings back, shattering the window pane, which slides down and fatally impales Carl in the chest. The demons that took Willie's soul return to take Carl's soul to hell. Sam finds Molly and Otome and asks if they are all right. Molly can now hear Sam, much to their surprise. Soon after, a heavenly light fills the room, revealing Sam's presence to both Otome and Molly. Sam tells Otome her mother would be proud and tells Molly he loves her. They share a kiss and their final goodbyes, and Sam walks into the light to join the angels in heaven. And that's Ghost. So I saw this movie a long, long time ago um, when I was a kid. My mom used to watch it when it was on uh, HBO and when it was on VHS, and she really liked this movie a lot. Um, you know, it, it's one of those memorable movies for a lot of reasons. And when people discuss Ghost, chances are that the scene that pops into mind is it's the clay pottery love scene, right? It's it's a pretty sexy, unchained melody thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's unorthodox, it's steamy, it's sensual, and it's backlit by this iconic song, Unchained Melody. As someone who understands the importance of a good sex scene, Amanda, what are your thoughts on this pottery love making moment? Oh, it's a great scene. It you know it it does something for the characters. It tells you how they interact with each other, how much they are in love with each other, how much they want each other. You know, it's not just there to be ooh, let's have a sex scene, and it's not graphic at all. It's it's steamy, it's sensual. You don't see anything. There's no nudity or anything in this movie, um, so it's not you know an unnecessary like gratuitous scene. It, it's there to do something for the characters and to in the short amount of time that we have before Sam dies, establish the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that they really care for each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's she's obviously an artist. And, and we get that without her being like, I'm an artist. I need this space. <laughs> we, we understand that. Um, she's up at 2 a.m., but Sam is still there for her. And it's just she's desirable to him at any point. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he absolutely loves her. I do kind of wish they did a little more to establish how much they love each other, but it, it, it it's it's adequate. It's it's enough to really play onto it. But I kind of wish they had a little more a little more time, like ten more minutes of showing how much they truly loved and cared for each other. Um, well, they really started with the whole thing about marriage or not marriage and blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And no, I I agree with you because it it feels kind of. I don't know. It feels like kind of a stupid argument that they <laughs> yeah. keep having. Yeah. And I, this is an issue I have frequently with female characters in a lot of media, specifically when it's written by a dude, where it always hinges on the, she wants to get married. He's not so sure. And they're constantly fighting back and forth and back mm -hmm. and forth about it. And I'm so bored of that. And also, come on. Mm -hmm. like, women are not that, as a whole, obsessed with marriage. And men as a whole are not that afraid of it. it it's cheap. And it, you know, there could have been other things to be between them that they were still working through other than, well, if you really loved me, you'd pop the question. It was pretty damn clear he really loves her. Yeah, I agree. The thing that I, and the reason I say I wish there was more of a, a relationship build in this in the start, maybe like an extra five, 10 minutes, is because after Sam dies and Carl goes to the apartment and he's hitting on Molly, like he pours the, the coffee on mm -hmm. him, takes his shirt off. Uh, she, 
she doesn't like push him away or do anything and she just kind of lets him kiss her and stops him and i mean and, and i'll stop myself before i continue on because i kind of know part of the answer one she's grieving mm-hmm. so she's vulnerable and yeah i mean she, she's physically vulnerable too from this guy like but like, he's also sam's best friend and and it's 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 a sense of comfort and so she but doesn't it's, it's also a sense of being with him is the closest thing she has to being with sam Mm, I didn't even think about that. I was I was more thinking of it as like, I trust him, it's comforting. But I was expecting a more visceral reaction from her where she's just like, you know, um, get out of here. But that makes a lot more sense um, when you put it that way, because you're right. They did everything together, it, 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 it appears. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that also in, in real life, that kind of thing happens a lot where, you know, out of grief, people who were both really close with the victim end up together, siblings of, you know, a victim and that person's partner, just because it, it's almost like the thing that keeps them alive in a way. Mm-hmm. I could see that. It just seemed a little odd to me. Um, but I do I do really appreciate it. Like, okay, so here's here's the example I'm kind of thinking of when it, when I immediately saw Ghost. Have you seen P.S. I Love You? Yes. <laughs> so not like um, a, that used to be my I really need to cry movie. Yeah. So it's not like a great movie, but I think no. it's it's solid. And I believe that they do a, a really, really good job of showing how much they love each other and mm-hmm. why spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen it, why Gerard Butler's character, you know, his death really affects her because she loved him so much. And with this, it doesn't feel as if Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze have that that kind of chemistry throughout the film. It, it picks right. up and, and, and it makes more sense. But I believe that, you know, cementing scenes like that, no pun intended, with Clay Potter and everything <laughs> that 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 sex scene, they are important because that really does strengthen a bit more. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's it's lacking a bit in, in it. Oh, my God. I remember side note when P.S. I Love You came out in theaters, they really marketed that as a rom com. Mm hmm. And I went and saw it in theaters with a friend. And we were hiding from each other the entire time that we could not stop crying. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> because we were like, I'm sorry. We thought we were in for, for you know, a, a bittersweet rom-com, not a full-on tissue fest. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty shocking that it, it starts out in the first, like, 20 minutes. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, he's dead. Holy shit. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they did a... Poor job of marketing that, but no, I, I think they did I that intentionally, actually. Really, but I think that that's so. I I don't know. I I don't like when when movies do that, but at the same time, it is what it is. I guess it's <laughs> it's, it's it's a somewhat forgettable movie. But. Yeah, no, it's not great. I just I remember it so well because of that. I guess because I went in thinking, you know, it, it's going to be light fair a rom-com oh oh he's dead oh they're really (laughs) they're really hampering that home okay i'm crying again wonderful oh man so okay well unchained melody we just talked about that in this that was part of the iconic scene and you know it's iconic to ghost whenever i hear that song by the righteous brothers i immediately think of that scene it's obviously the first thing that that most people will probably think of so there are a lot of songs out there that they play and you can immediately be like, oh, you know, I, I recall this from that movie. So what are some other songs that you can name that immediately make you think of specific films? Mustang, Sally. What's that one? Um, it, have you seen um, Miss Congeniality? Uh, I, I've seen parts of it. I saw the ending and I saw the beginning. So I haven't seen the middle. Oh, <laughs> the oh entire God, film. We should do Miss Congeniality. That's, there's a lot to, to talk about there. But the her entire makeover scene is to, to Mustang Sally. Mm, okay. So whenever you hear that, that's all you think of now. I see the scene in my head because I've seen that movie so many times. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the first like song that comes to mind that I really think of the movie. Okay. That makes sense. Do you have any other ones? Nothing else really came to mind. Like, that was the one that, I mean, Pretty Woman. Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Pretty obviously. I have a bunch, and I Mm. think you'll agree with some of them. So, uh, Kiss Me by Sixpence None the Richer from Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yep. Oh, you Um, know what? Um, Bittersweet Symphony. 
Yep, from Cruel, Cruel Intentions. Intentions. That's that's a really good example. Yeah. Uh, I Will Always Love You, but I mean, that's also from the Bodyguard soundtrack. <laughs> uh, the Power of Love, uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> uh, Born to be Wild from uh, the Easy or yeah, Easy Rider mm-hmm. uh, with Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda. Uh, Kiss from a Rose, Batman Forever. <laughs> I love that song. Really? That's oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Staying Alive. Obviously, uh, and then Eye of the Tiger. Rocky, oh yeah, Rocky. Yeah, II. that one's iconic. Um, don't you forget about me. Yep. Uh, um, also, yeah, yeah. That the, at the end of mm-hmm. Breakfast Club, you see the scene. Yep. Uh, the time of my life, Dirty Dancing. Yep. Another Swayze. Uh, yep. Take my breath away. Top Gun. <laughs> Um, what else? What else I had in there? Let's see. My heart will go on. Obviously, that one is yes. like you can't not think of Titanic when that when that uh, happens. Uh, mm. Maniac. She's a maniac. Maniac yeah. on the floor. Flash dance. Flash dance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what was that final one I had written down? I'm looking at a list. Oh, Mrs. Robinson from Simon oh, and Garfunkel. Yeah. The Graduate. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a bunch and. I think it's important because, I mean, you know, the, the songs can still be really good. Oh, and then like Forrest Gump had Creedence Clearwater Revival. So anytime I hear Fortunate yeah, Son. Yeah, I don't really associate. I love CCR. I don't really, I know they're in there. I don't really associate that in the same way because kind of like with Roadhouse, it is, it's a wall-to-wall music movie. Right. So there's no one where I'm like, it's the song. Right. But also uh, Dirty Dancing, Lover Boy. And let's hear it for the boys. That's also in. No, that's in Footloose. No, that's Never Footloose. mind. Damn it, I was way off. <laughs> Shows how much I know. I'm mixing Kevin Bacon and Swayze together. You can't mix mm. Bacon and Swayze. No, you cannot. But they're important. It's important to have those songs in there too, because I mean, music is so it's so vital to the the fabric of of our society. I mean, I I listen to, to certain music. Like I was listening to Taylor Swift the other day, and I don't really listen to Taylor Swift. But I appreciate the hell out of what she does. And her songs are so catchy. And I was listening to like this old song um, from one of her first albums. And I was just like jazzed in my car. I'm all pumped up and singing it. <laughs> and it was so stupid. But but that's what it is so great about these iconic things, right? Like it can motivate you in certain ways or it can it can uh, mm-hmm. be a, a recollection point. So you can recall when you hear nine to five, you immediately think of Dolly yeah. Parton like trying Nine to kill to her five. boss. Yeah. Why didn't we just met? We've, and we've covered that movie on the podcast too. I know. <laughs> that one's pretty obvious though. I look yeah. at that and I'm like, it's well, that title. one's pretty obvious. Or like lose yourself from uh, eight mile. It's like, well, that's, I mean, that makes sense. So uh, yeah. Uh, and this, this is no different. Uh, it's, it's, it's cool. I'm wondering if they, the creators, when they film that scene, like how much thought they put into the right song, because I'm wondering if they're like, oh, we don't know if this is the right thing to play, Unchained Melody. We could probably have something maybe a little more upbeat or something mm-hmm. a little more slower. Um, but, you know, they nailed it. Excuse me. But they nailed it. And so it's it's always funny to see that happen, that like the song selection and the song choice and, and see it pay off. Yeah, no, music's really important. Putting in the right. I've seen things where, you know, they, they use a bunch of songs and they just don't fit in the scene and like why did you license that why did you choose that what what did that song mean in the context and Mm -hmm. and you know when a song really clicks it does something yeah it uh it brings back those memories and and i think yeah like we you said the breakfast club too you just Mm -hmm. immediately think of bender sticking his fist up in the air right at the very end and and then and then you just start rewinding the movie in your head and you think about all those those wonderful moments uh, throughout the film, whether you loved it or hate it, it still sticks with you. So, yeah, that's, pre- that's pretty awesome stuff. And it makes you know, me want to buy it. When you think of those songs, you also the, you replay those scenes in your head, specifically yeah. the scenes that go to the songs and you, you know, you almost rewatch it. Makes me want to buy a pottery wheel <laughs> to, start, to start practicing. So. Well, you know, you tell your girlfriend. <laughs> I got to look like Swayze a little more before I can do that. So. <laughs> Nobody um, looks like Swayze. Nobody. So Jerry Zucker, he directed this film. Uh, he's traditionally a comedic director, like I was alluding to before. Um, and he's responsible for such classics as The Naked Gun, Airplane, and Top Secret, to name a few. Along with his brother David, the duo know comedy pretty well. 
but Jerry, in this situation, he zigs when people thought he would zag, and he tackles the romance genre. You know, it's quite the shift, but one could say that it does pay off. So I always believe, this is always my belief, that comedic actors can transition a lot easier into dramatic roles very well. It's because comedy is very difficult. Mm -hmm. It's much harder for a serious actor to be funny versus a funny actor transitioning to a serious role because comedy's hard. So what are your thoughts on this? Oh, I completely agree. Comedy is all about timing and what kind of comedy you're going for. Are you going broad? Are you the sardonic best friend? You know, not that drama's easy, but it's not... It's not about the timing in the same way. It's not about making sure you deliver that line at this exact beat or else it's not going to hit. And that's why, you know, I'm not a huge stand-up comedy fan. I do like going, like if I'm in person, like when I've been in New York, I've been to some stand-up comedy shows and they were great. Um, But I'm the type of person that, you know, you hear somebody say something, like let's say like a John Mulaney, they say something like, Mm -hmm. and then I ordered a sandwich. But then everyone laughs and you're like, wait, I don't get it. Why was that so funny? But it's because he's a funny person and his delivery and the timing like you're talking about. So I think that's infinitely harder to be funny than it is to be a good dramatic actor. And this is coming from somebody who's not an actor. So I don't know how fair that is to say. I am an actor. I agree. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many times have you seen bad comedy? Uh, Yeah, a lot. I once saw a guy get up on stage and for seven minutes he just said the word papoose. Wow. Mm-hmm. That uh, was it funny? No. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> um, A for effort. He, he tried, and that's that's all that really matters. We're Maybe like it was like a an exercise. Front to comedy. It was an exercise in uh, confidence, self confidence. But, ooh. Yeah, yeah it, was, and, it was bad. Well, and I look at actors like Steve Carell and Will Ferrell, mm-hmm. um, who who can make that transition and and be and Melissa McCarthy too. Um, when she was in that mm-hmm. movie, can you can, can you, you ever, forgive, ever me? forgive me? She did great. I was when blown away. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is a good example. Yeah. yeah. So that transition is is a lot better in my opinion. It doesn't work for everybody. No. Um, I, I don't like Pete Davidson at all. I don't find him funny, and I, I don't agree. think I don't think any of his quote unquote ser- more serious roles are good. He just He's, it's himself. It's himself. And he looks like he doesn't want to be there. And like he's a childish kid laughing about stuff. And uh, yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. I don't I just don't see it. I really don't. I don't get it. I don't understand what a Pete Davidson is and why he's so he's so famous. It's it's crazy to me. I don't either. I don't like I don't know, he just seems like a stone seventh grader. Yeah. OK, cool story, bro. And maybe call this recency bias, but um, I do think Patrick Swayze can be funny. Um, oh, yeah. I think he's he's very funny in Tu Wong Fu, but he still has more of the serious role in that. He has well, I funny. I think he plays yeah. a serious role. He plays it as the straight man in a comedy. Yes. yes. And I just remember when Virgil, the mechanic, you know, hits his wife or whatever, and mm-hmm. uh, I forgot his character's name in that Patrick Swayze's, but he goes and wants to talk oh to God, him, I and don't Virgil's being a dick, and then so Patrick Swayze just beats his ass, and it's kind of like, holy shit, you know? But that's also what makes that performance work, because that performance could be, if someone played it up too much, it wouldn't, you know, he's grounding that character. Mm-hmm. You know, and with um, with Whoopi Goldberg in this, <laughs> she... She gives a dramatic performance, but it's honestly more mm-hmm. comedic. Uh, and and she still nails it, though. She hits all those points. And I mean, you know, she was in The Color Purple and, and various mo- movies, um, Ghost of Mississippi. She knows how to act. Sister Act. Sister Act is so good. <laughs> I love that. I love the no, second one, too. She is. You know, she's not just on The View. No, our, no, no, no. Our no. Gen Z listeners. She had a career before that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She definitely did. And, um, you know... She had a lot of weird choices when she was married mm-hmm. to Ted Danson and he went blackface. That was a terrible, terrible decision. Terrible, but, terrible but decision. That's neither here nor there. But she she makes the transition over to drama and does a really good job. Mm-hmm. And look, it paid off. She won an Academy Award. Um, I loved her character. The re- the Rita uh, Miller or Rita whatever was that was such a good part. Yes. When the, she goes in and yes, Rita she, Miller is yeah. Oda Mae Brown and she pretends to be Rita Miller. To, to do the withdrawal and it's just it's so back and forth and then yeah I well, love yeah, it her talking to Sam and her like freaking out and, tra- and breaking character and then be like nope I gotta stay in this character yeah and then um when and then 
Carl even like showing up at the bank and she's like, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, this is a nice pen. Can I keep this? <laughs> <laughs> um, she's she's great in it. I I really enjoyed that. But the, yeah, that transition it's it's so fascinating to me. So I'm glad that we we agree on it because I just I didn't want to be out of place and people be like, well, you don't know comedy and you don't know acting, so you don't really you can't really have a say in it. But I no, as an actor, I would agree that it is. There are definitely a lot more instances of a, a comedian doing a drama and being amazing versus solidly dramatic actors going and doing something that's a broad comedy. Like, okay, you know what? Daniel Day-Lewis, we all know he's an amazing dramatic actor. Has he ever done a broad comedy? No. And I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's his skill set. I don't know that they would mesh together. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's rough. And obviously, yeah, some, it, it works for some people. So mm-hmm. uh, like Brad Pitt in uh, Burn After Reading, like that, uh, he did a great job in that. I mean, he's good in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though that's, that's... true. Yes, he's shown that he's a good, he's very good at comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert De Niro is pretty good at comedy, um, but I'm, I'm thinking of just like Meet the Parents and then Analyze That. Mm, right. Uh, that's pretty much it. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of looking some I know, stuff I'm trying up to right think of, of who... Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada, but Meryl Streep is also a chameleon. She can do pretty much anything. So random. In which one? In Rocky she, Horror? Yeah, she plays it up in Rocky Horror, but also she plays it for a lot of laughs in Witches of Eastwick. Oh, I do like Witches of Eastwick. That's on that's on Max also. I haven't seen that one in a long time. It is so weird. It is weird. The thing I remember the most was when the rat tail gets cut. I hated that. <laughs> I actually referenced it in a script the other day that I was writing the other day, I, I wrote like um, like Susan Sarandon after she has sex with the devil in Witches of Eastwick. She's a <laughs> new woman. <laughs> I was thinking of um, Rocky Horror. Yeah, no, but she really it, does. So, yeah, she she can she can pull off some comedic stuff. And in Bull Durham, she's good as well. A little more dramatic in that, but she still has comedic timing. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Fiennes in the Grand Budapest Hotel. He, yes, that's one of my funny. favorite West Andersons. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's but great. He's not doing broad. Co- yeah. He's doing this kind of weird off kilter comedy. Yeah. Cause he does it in the menu too. Yeah, he does. Um, I like that a lot. Crinkle cut or, or what does he say? Uh, regular. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> what kind of cheese do you want? So it's, I love that movie too. The menu. I can go on and on about it. But. I enjoyed that one a lot. It was a lot of fun. So, um, were there in, in ghost, were there any moments, uh, that you kind of were like, what the fuck? You know, I understand it, it's a movie about ghosts. Okay, I get that. It's in the title. But I'm wondering if there were character or storyline or script choices or whatever that, that you didn't care for, because we kind of talked about this before we started recording, is the movie tonally shifts a lot. Mm-hmm. And so there were moments that I was watching it while I ultimately, I think, liked the movie. I just was kind of like, uh, yeah. what? So what about you? No, I agree with you. I think every 10 minutes, it, it's almost like a different genre. Okay. And it doesn't, as a whole, I'm not saying that doesn't work, but there are times where it's a little strange. Um, I always, the character who always kind of rubs me the wrong way is I'm not sure entirely what they were going for with the poltergeist guy. The poltergeist, oh, the guy on the train? The train guy. Yeah, I I think they just needed a conduit for for Swayze to learn, but it was a little... Yeah, they could have dialed his character down or made it like the old man at the hospital to yeah. teach him. You're right. That was a little odd. I wonder what they were trying to say with that. If they were just trying to make it scary or because yeah, he, he kind of freaked me out, honestly. Yeah, I didn't. like. I, that's the thing. That was where I didn't know. And he always. There's just something like, I, what are they trying to do? Yes, he's a conduit. Obviously, it's it's how um, Sam learns mm-hmm. to physically you know, move things, but what exactly they were trying to do with that character, I can never quite figure out. Yeah, it it is weird because he's introduced so abruptly and then he leaves so abruptly and he leaves arguing with with Swayze or he's just upset at him and jumps back on the train. I, I don't really know what the purpose of that was. So I'm with I'm with you on that. That was a, a, a what the fuck moment for me. For but sure. To the tonal thing, even even when it starts, the way that the movie starts with the music and and the um, 
opening credits. It's like you're going into an eerie horror movie almost. Yeah. And then it's like a yuppie romantic drama. Yeah. It And it does. And even with those, like the demons, right, that they mm-hmm. show – those are pretty creepy. Yeah. Uh, seeing your your own dead body, like when when Willie gets killed, yeah, it shifts quite a bit to like, a, oh shit, this could be like somewhat of a horror film. Yeah. Um, and and there are moments, but then the music kind of changes, and it's it's a little more poppy and and upbeat, and you're like, what the hell? What? So where where are we going with this? And that might be because we had a director coming from mainly comedy. I mean, I love Top Secret. So do I. I watched it probably for the first time way too young. Tutti frutti. Oh, Rudy. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that song. I love that. Yeah. He's like, I know that. a little German. He's over there. <laughs> okay. I used to, as an elementary school student, quote the um, the German phrases. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I used to yell that at cab drivers. Chocolate mousse. <laughs> Go That's shit French, in the ocean. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that one. <laughs> so good. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I haven't but, either. It's it's been a few years, but yeah, I used to I watched that a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. My dad was really into it, and for some reason, he let me watch it when I was I don't know, like seven. Yeah, <laughs> but tonally, like like you're saying, so because it's like, how can you classify this movie? Is it is it is it a a rom com? Is it a romance film? Is it kind of a scary film? Because when when Tony Goldwyn gets killed mm-hmm. at the end by that, that's pretty brutal, and they just show it, and you're like, holy shit. I think it's a supernatural romantic drama crime film. And a religious film, too, apparently. <laughs> I mean, one could argue, right? I mean, yeah. Because anytime you're dealing with angels or mm-hmm. he- heaven or hell, that's obviously religious undertones. I mean, I watched Angels in the Outfield uh, a few months ago, and I remember, you know, it's a Disney movie, yeah. and I loved it as a kid, but it, it's very heavy handedly religious. That's so, why I never watched it as a kid. Well, and, and I was, you know, I just liked baseball and I liked Joseph Gordon-Levitt and I loved angels and I didn't, I wasn't religious growing up. So, and we weren't religious growing up either. So I think that this movie, you know, just de- de- depending on what you believe in, mm-hmm. it's like personally, like Amanda, do you believe in ghosts personally? No, I don't. I, I actually, I love ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the idea. I like to go to allegedly haunted places and myself telling the ghost story but i don't believe in anything i I mean i think the way i look at it is i don't believe in the in ghosts that are depicted in film obviously but Mm -hmm. i do believe in entities or things or uh signs of something that that occur so when you you hear a bump in the night um you know i watch a lot of horror films and so for me that normally doesn't scare me but sometimes i'm like that was timed too too conveniently for me to 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 pass over it and so i have to i have to believe something's there or spiritually something's there or um you know uh, a sliver of of someone's spirit is there and 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 i don't think it's just random people like oh the place i'm living in now mm-hmm. is haunted by Odame brown or whatever it's right it's someone who was with me or you know someone who i had a relationship with like a like you know a family member or a dear friend or whatever. And well, I also think that there's so much in science that's so weird and that we don't understand. And mm-hmm. even looking at when people do die, their brain waves still continuing on, right. unless you're brain dead, but still continuing on after your heart has stopped. There's a lot that's weird. There's I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't go out and say, oh, it's ghosts in that sense. I, I don't think, and I think a lot of times when, you hear about these haunted houses and people seeing in these shared delusions. I'm like, well, obviously it's ghosts. Why are these always old homes? Oh, there's carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> I literally just walked out of the room to make a face at me because I do this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, you love ghosts. You love talking about this shit. Um, like the, the, um, you know, one of the most famous ones, the Amityville Horror House, yeah. which actually drove by not too long ago. Hmm. Um, it is spooky looking. It is. Yes, there was a very real tragedy there. That Don't get me wrong. That, the you know, the original story, incredibly tragic, horrible. Not because of demonic entities, but no. because of mental illness and, and raid, unchecked, you know, 
mm-hmm. male rage. Um, I actually, and all of the stuff about, you know, the things happening after the fact and how even the people who live in the house today experience shit. No, they don't. Um, my uh, cousins are friends with people who used to live in that house. Yeah. They throw Halloween parties because they lived in the Amityville house. Uh, <laughs> nothing awesome. ever happened. <laughs> nothing. Because, and I, it has been deep, disproven that all of this stuff after the fact was entirely made up. But a lot of times in these old houses, there's carbon monoxide. And that's, that can easily create a shared delusion that you're all seeing, you know, slime dripping from the walls. No, you're poisoned. And mm-hmm. um, you need to get that checked out. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think it sells for a good story, but it's it's there's usually more of a logical explanation for, for more often than not for those things. Yeah, like I love I love horror set in the more modern brutalist architecture, like Bauhaus mm-hmm. um, stuff. Uh, the Black Cat from I think thirty four was the first movie to do that, where it's it's this it's a horror movie and it is set in a brutalist it's it's all glass windows it's it's the Bauhaus style um yeah. and it's it's cold it's that coldness it's terrifying it's not about ghosts it's about sharp corners mm-hmm. makes sense yeah I I am I enjoy ghost films in in the horror subgenre um and and more like the demonic kind of mm-hmm. stuff because that's the shit that actually scares me is you know ghosts i i can understand that a little little more but like yeah the paranormal activity that deal with demons and, and whatnot like I, i've i started talk to me um I'm, we're gonna review it for yes. don't be crazy in october uh, it's i know i know about it and it's more about demons and stuff and i'm like holy shit so i gotta prepare myself for that one. Oh really <laughs> i actually i just wrote a it's script a about a demon oh. i wanted to <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if i'd say it's really scary it's it's more black comedy horror, mm. but I, I did some some biblical research of my own to pick the right demon, but I didn't want it to be Christian mythos. I wanted to pull something from ancient Judaism because I'm not religious, but my family is, we're culturally Jewish and there's a lot of Christian religious shit out there. And oh, like, yeah. hey, I could, it doesn't do anything to me. I know we're doing <laughs> the exorcist in the future. And as I mentioned to you, I cackled. Yeah, I like it as a movie. I do as a scary thing. It's not scary to me at all. Oh, yeah. Neither is the omen. Oh, yeah. Um, well, uh, moving on. Do you think Patrick Swayze <laughs> is a good actor? <laughs> I love Patrick Swayze. I. But that's not what I asked him. No, I, I asked know, him. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, I do. Oh, you hesitated, though. <laughs> well, I'm thinking through it. I'm thinking. And obviously, obviously, I've seen a lot of Swayze. No, I do. I think, do I think he is the strongest actor with the widest range? No, but I think if you mm-hmm. line up all of the things, he's always making choices. He's always giving a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm never watching it and thinking, ooh, that line delivery was awful. Yeah. You know, I'm never, I'm never taken out of the story by a performance of his. I'm never thinking, <laughs> what are you doing on that screen? Why did you say that? Yeah. He... I, I think he's a good actor. Um, I think that I don't know if he's going to win Academy Awards, but I don't. Yeah. I also don't think Academy Awards are necessarily the hallmark of a good actor. Nope. The Academy themselves are just whatever. But I mean, I often think it's it's an award for the most acting. Yeah, he, and I don't love the most acting. That's not my no. style of acting. So he, his resume alone, and and just with the the range of what he does, you know, you have The Outsiders mm-hmm. and then Red Dawn, which are both awesome movies in themselves. Um, excuse me, and then he moves on to various things, uh, TV shows and such. But his his bigger movie in '87, Dirty Dancing, mm-hmm. where he's playing the love interest, and you know Johnny Castle was that guy that all the all the women back then were like, oh my god, you know how how iconic is the is the jumping scene in the water, right? When you mm-hmm. lift him up, it's it's so iconic. And then he shifts from that to more of a tough guy stuff, Tiger Warsaw, Roadhouse, mm-hmm. Next of Kin. And uh, Next of Kin was kind of one of his more last action roles uh, for a, a little while because then he did Ghost after um, Roadhouse and Next of Kin. Mm-hmm, and then that injury. Because that injury. Then he came back for Point Break. He was in The Player in Fatherhood. Uh, he played Pecos Bill in Tall Tale. <laughs> and well, then I think he, there's always depth behind his eyes. There's yes. always something else going on. Yeah. 
And then we're saying to Wong Fu in 95, mm-hmm. he played Vita was, was his name in that one. Yeah. Um, and then a few other ones. And then he kind of, uh, you know, pittered out Donnie Darko and stuff later on. But I, I mean, I think in that sense, so good is subjective, obviously, but I, I think objectively he is a good actor, mm-hmm. was a good actor. Um, he knew what he was doing and he was, he could sing, he could dance, he could, mm-hmm. he could act. And, and, and I like that. I like that. Triple and he's threat. enjoyable to watch. You he want to watch him on that screen. And off screen, he seemed like a really cool guy. Yes. Like he was supportive of of other actors. He was supportive mm-hmm. of changes and diversity, or what it at least what it seemed like. And so that's that's great. He was a champion for that. So I, I applaud Patrick Swayze, and sure do miss him. This this yep. month really kind of uh, opened up my eyes to more of his his I resume was, and and appreciate. He was a great guy. He yeah. really was. It's a bummer. Um, really all we can do is live on in his memory like a ghost. Didn't no. it? <laughs> Ouch. So, okay, final question. Amanda, you are a New York City resident, mm-hmm. um, and everyone has their own opinions of New York City. It's huge, <laughs> it's bustling, it's an exciting city that presents different experiences for everyone who visits. Unfortunately, many people who have never been to New York City can see a movie like Ghost or see Taxi Driver or something like that. And they create this illusion that has nothing to do or it, it has nothing but crime. Like that's the illusion. They think that New York is just filled with crime, right? Now, is this fair to New York? I guess like what are the dangers of depicting cities a certain way in film? Well, I'm not just a, a New York resident. I'm a born and raised New York native. Um, so <laughs> I, I have lived here aside from when I went to college, I have lived in New York city in either Manhattan or Brooklyn for 30 years. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you do have to remember that this movie is from 1990. They've probably filmed in 89. They're kind of living in Soho, which is real bougie. Oh yeah. Super nice. And even in the 90s was bougie. A lot of cocaine there. A lot of, a lot of yes. Gordon Geckos up there. So. Yes. Um, but the city back then was a little different. It, you know, it, it was a little grittier than mm-hmm. it is now. Uh, the New York City of Taxi Driver was definitely a lot grittier mm-hmm. than the city is now where, you know, if you if you depict, actually my... My uh, old roommate and I, we used to have this joke about all of the Marvel TV shows when they were on Netflix and they were all set in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're like, yeah, you know, okay. Thir- when I was a child, Hell's Kitchen was definitely skeevy. Mm-hmm. Hell's Kitchen now is is just gay bar after gay bar. It's, <laughs> it's like it's hopping. It's If you go really far west once you pass all the restaurants and the bars, is it not so nice? Yes. But like Prime Hell's Kitchen? Yeah. Nope, totally. And we, we would just say, why are all of these shows, why are all of these superheroes in Hell's Kitchen? There's not that much crime in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. It's, it's like five blocks. Where, why are they not in other, you know? <laughs> like the amount of crime they're showing me in this one five block radius is like the amount of crime in the city for a several year period. What is, <laughs> what's going on here? Everyone's um, shooting but, each other in New York, apparently. Right. No, that's the, that's the We have really strict gun laws in New York City. Most people mm. don't walk, like, when you hear about gun violence in the city, it's actually pretty shocking. Yeah. You know, especially in the, the neighborhoods that are being depicted in the content. I mean, Taxi Driver, no, that was the 70s. Very different. Actually, that was a horrible time. The crime rate in New York City in the 70s was the worst it has ever been. Mm-hmm. So, yeah terrifying place to be um even the early 90s when i was growing up you know central park was kind of sketchy you didn't want to go there at certain hours um obviously you still don't want to be in the park at nighttime but like why would you be there when it's when there's no light there's nothing to do unless you're camping out for shakespeare in the park um but now it's fine, you know, and yeah. I know a lot of people will complain about like, well, post-COVID, the subways are so scary. Oh, no, they're not. No, they're not. Put your big boy panties on and get over yourself. It, it, the city is fine. There are lots of places with, with much more terrifying crime 
than the city. And I, and I also think a lot of it is, is racism. It's oh, like, 100%. oh, wow. And it's like, just shut up. The city, I've lived here my entire life. The city is fine. <laughs> um, that's my city rant. <laughs> Thank well, you. I, I definitely, I definitely think that movies and TV show and media in general have just been super harmful to big cities mm-hmm. uh, where people don't know. So I'm looking at a Forbes article and take that for what it's worth. But Forbes does do some solid journalism here and there, especially with pieces like this. And it has the 15 most dangerous cities in the U.S. New York is not even on that list for yeah. 15 most dangerous cities in the U.S. I'm talking I think the we're South. The top five safest actually yep. i'm talking missouri alabama maryland so we got st louis birmingham baltimore memphis detroit cleveland new orleans shreveport baton rouge i mean the biggest cities in there are detroit cleveland mm-hmm. and baltimore memphis. st louis is solid size memphis is solid size but like we're not yeah we're not talking new york level and um you know 15 safest cities with a population over three hundred thousand. new york is fifth safest ah, in, in the u.s right so it, it, it's pretty awesome stuff. I don't see Seattle on here, so that's very interesting. Oh, my God. Um, really cool. We'll, we'll get to this in a second. Um, but, yeah, no, see, that's, yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> going to say something, and I forgot it. Well, and it's all in, and it's, it's all in what you, um, you know, you, you make of it. And I, unfortunately, call it xenophobia or whatever you want to call it. Like you, you, you know, alluded mm-hmm. to that. It's slightly racist. There are people in this in this country that haven't traveled outside of their state, or they barely mm-hmm. do, and so there, a lot of it could be fear mongered from the news. And like, so there was this clip going around on Twitter yesterday, and it was hilarious. Was it the Seattle um, one? Yeah, I was just gonna bring that up. Yeah, <laughs> the like, lady in the green coat. The oh, you saw people doing drugs. Yes. Yeah, so for context for anyone who hasn't seen it it's hilarious and i can't believe fox news aired it but basically they had a reporter from new york probably who went out to seattle and he started asking people about the the crime and the homeless and the drugs and everything and of course they filmed like a homeless lady on the ground which is terrible all in itself um but then he's trying to ask seattle residents about it and they're all like what crime what are you talking about They're, they're saying like you know how dangerous is it here and they're like it's not it's it's not what you think it is. And, um, you know, there I mean, there are certain areas as a resident of Seattle. There are certain areas, sure, where you have to keep your wits about you. That's yeah. any city. No, that's um, anywhere. Yeah, I, and, I yeah. have traveled and there are places that I have felt much less safe <laughs> than New York City. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's great because he asked this gal. Um, he, he, oh, he in just the green sa- coat. Yeah, in the green coat. And she's just sassing him back. And, oh, she's um, wonderful. Yeah. He's like, well, it's, it's, it's so dangerous here. She's like, where are you getting your information from? Like, aren't you from New York? And he's like, well, yeah, but, you know, I, I saw people shooting up today as I was driving by. And she's like, oh, she's like, you oh, saw you people in the, car? in the car doing drugs. They were harming you. Oh, I'm sorry they were harming you. Yeah, it was. It was oh, so funny. She was wonderful. But, but yeah. <laughs> I love her. She is a mood. And and that's that that's kind of a microcosm for how yeah. certain people view these big cities. Um and, and movies trying to wrap it back to Ghost. Movies like Ghost don't really do New York a favor per se because you, I bet in the 90s sure it was a different time there, but even you might still have some boomers who watched that movie or some Gen Xers who watched that that are still kind of like well, I don't want to get mugged and shot by a person like Willie in New York because that can even right. happen, you know, in and Soho. Really, and, and it's not happening in Soho. It, yeah, like that kind of stuff doesn't really happen. And so it's... No, it really... It, yeah. It's rare. It is rare. And so it's it's fascinating. Um, I, I have I have a hard time with, with, with that happening in, um, to cities. I mean, maybe to, you're at it like two in the morning on a quiet intersection in like maybe near Penn Station because it's gross near Penn Station and you you were like jiggling a wad of cash. Oh, yeah. And just like waving it around. Yeah. But I also, okay, this this reminds me of, but two things. You know in movies they need to make New York look dirtier than it really is, so they <laughs> actually put trash on the ground. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when they're coming back from the theater – I always wonder, what theater did they go to? Because that yeah. does not look like any theater district in New York. And it seems like they're seeing a big play, which would mean it would be in Midtown. But nothing in Midtown looks like that. Mm-mm. Yeah, you're right. 
I think that's always funny too when you just set it in New York and you kind of rely on the fact that it's so big to be like, well, no one's going to recognize this, but it's like, well, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Well, I <laughs> remember I was yeah. watching the TV show You on Netflix and the mm-hmm. season one, it was set in New York. And there's the bookstore, the exterior of the bookstore he worked in is actually on the block that I grew up on as a kid. Mm. Um, so I knew it really well. And there's a scene where he's supposed to be driving through traffic and he's supposed to be going. Um, from like the west side further downtown but he's stuck in traffic right in front of the apartment building i grew up on heading east and i'm like i know you're 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 about to get onto the entryway for the fdr drive that's my apartment building that i was a child in you are not heading downtown west at all this is not the way you would go for this yeah uh i i i love new york i love visiting new york i think it's I think it's fantastic. It's an amazing city. There's a different experience. Like I was saying, each time you go there, uh, the food's incredible. Of course, you're going to find bad areas, bad food, bad people, whatever. But trouble, it, it's all in, in, in your attitude that, mm-hmm. that you bring um, and, and the vibe that you have because trouble will find you if, if, you, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're fine. Like anywhere you go in the world, just be smart. Keep your wits about you. Yeah. Don't be waving wads of cash everywhere. You just wave your debit card instead or your credit card. Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's <laughs> actually so that's all I have for ghost um, at the at the time. But what do you what's your hottest take? I, I want to hear I want you to defend uh, your mm-hmm. most controversial take on this movie, on movies of the genre, on actors, et cetera, et cetera. Go. Is there anything else this genre? <laughs> that's I mean that's a really good point and I don't think it I, I don't think so it's no. so odd <laughs> you know what else kind of fits into this weird genre blendy there are a couple of old um gothic romance movies mm-hmm. that have that vibe um there's a movie with Vincent Price and Jean Tierney called uh, Dragon Wick that I love. Um, and that has definitely a vibe of like workers' struggle and striking, which very on time, on topic. Um, but also ghosts and romance and, and all of these different kind of tonal things going mm-hmm. on together. That's, that's the only other thing that I can kind of think of in that vein. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my, my take is, is like tonally this movie is, this is like 10 different movie genres going on at once. Um, and I, you know what? I'm okay with it. Let's, let's do more weird mashups. I'm fine with that. Let's, we don't need to stick things into one little box. Let's, let's do more weird genre mashups. I would be okay with that as long as the story's good and as long yeah. as they give care to it. But I'm all about a good genre bending film. Um, and we talked about that on point break with Catherine Bigelow mm-hmm. using a, you know, presupposed action film, but bending it to, to her will to make it more about a story about feminism and toxic masculinity and, and gay love and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's so, it's so cool when directors can do that. Uh, but yeah, I'd be down for that more. It's just Ghost didn't hit for me. No, with, I, with I don't think it always hits either. I, it, I think. Yeah. It <sighs> blows me away that that 80% of the audience loved it. But I think it's more I, just because it's nostalgic. I agree. I like. I don't dislike it. I enjoy it. I like the the people in it. I like the performances. I just don't know that it all goes. Yeah. And it is a bit too long. It could be shorter. I agree. It does not need to be over two hours long. I don't need a two-hour ghost movie. I need an hour 30, maybe hour 45 movie. This, that, yeah, this could be hour 45 and it would be... They could have cut some stuff. Yeah. Agreed. I think it was a little a little um, uh, convoluted there. A little inflated. Mm-hmm. So my hot take, and I'm trying to think of how I can describe it. Uh, okay, so films from 1990 and 1991 and 1992... And that's kind of specific. Um, mm-hmm. They aren't very good. Sure, you're <laughs> going to find some really good ones for Terminator 2, Point Break, and whatnot. But the good majority of them just have a weird vibe and a weird look and a weird feel. 
And it's maybe it's the turn of the decade transitioning mm-hmm. from the 80s of the bright colors and the big the mullets and the hair. But as soon as it goes to 90, when you see a mullet in a movie, you're kind of like, whoa, dude, get with the times. This is a new decade. Uh, I mean, Goodfellas was 1990 and The Silence of the Lambs is 91. Right. right. And, and, I'm, and, and I'm saying, you know, there's going to be diamonds in the rough there. It's, it's not the, the, the rule. It's the exception for those. But overall, 90 and 91, in my personal opinion, for certain films, they just look older and more neutral colored and grainy. And when I watch a movie from 1990, I'm like, damn, this feels so old. Older there than obviously. There is a lot of gray. There is a lot of gray. Yeah older than you know 33 years or 30 plus years it feels so old and i don't know what it is about early 90s films that just don't resonate with me um mm. they they like i'll watch them now and just be like man this just isn't really that good tech tech uh, technological advances aside i'm like this just really isn't that good because you're right you get good fellas silence of the lambs mm-hmm. and i freaking love those movies um but it just it doesn't really work for me for, for other films. And so with Ghost in particular, there were some very weird stylistic choices for everything yeah. we just said. And and I, I was like, there we go. Another 1990s movie that was odd and lost. And Roadhouse fit perfectly in the 80s, even though it was towards the end of the 80s. It is, that oh, was an 80s so movie. 80s. It's it, so it, 80s. Yeah. His his high-waisted pants and <laughs> his, his, his polo style shirt. Like, it is so 80s. His mullet. It works so well. But... You transition that a couple years, I'd be like, "Whoa, this movie feels outdated," or it feels like it's it's it, it's in a different time period. So that's just how I at least perceive Maybe it. Maybe it's the yuppie thing. That's a good point. Also, I think that yuppie vibe, yeah, threw it off quite a bit because I think that transition was pretty quick. That was like later '80s, but we were still grasping. But the on. movies were really, yeah. A lot of those yuppie movies are are early '90s. Exactly. So that might be the answer, but it is for anyone who who gets it, you know, hit me up. Uh, let me know if I'm crazy. I, I don't really know how to describe it. It's just odd. <laughs> <laughs> no, I see what you're saying. I know a lot of people talk about like pacing in 70s movies, mm-hmm. which I actually kind of love. I like letting scenes breathe. Yeah. Um, I'm OK with that. I think it has to do with film and cutting. But no, I see. I see what you're saying. There is yeah. a. There's just something. I don't know what it is. Just something. Hmm. So anyhow. Okay. It's well, like a weird transitional period almost. Yes. And that's kind of more, I think that's what I'm getting at without exact words, without exact descriptors. Um, okay. So what do you give Ghost then for a letter grade? B minus. Ooh, that high? Uh, is that too nice? I, I mean, it's, it's your choice. You can I pick whatever. Know, I'm sorry. I don't right? want to influence you. No, I'm I'm really trying to think here. Like, there is a nostalgia factor, but also if I'm gonna go watch a Patrick Swayze movie, we both know that I'm just gonna put on Roadhouse again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a C plus. I I think it's 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 a solid C student. It's fine. She's fine. Yeah. She's okay. I'm, She's I'm... too long, so it's not a breezy watch. No. And I'm I'm gonna give it a D plus. Um, wow, I I enjoyed it. A D plus isn't bad. I mean, if we're looking on a scale of one of one to ten, I mean that's still a 69 percent or six point nine out of ten, right? Which is still good. Um, would I watch it again? I, I don't need to watch it for several years. It, it's it just didn't resonate with me very well. And sure, there were emotional moments that got me, but I think that was more just stuff that I deal with in my personal life. Yeah. And and so that's fine and all, but... Yeah, no, there are scenes I love, but as a whole, I'm like... Yeah. Ah, okay. As a whole, I could do without it, and you said it right, too. The runtime, I'm like, come on. I, I have things I got to do. I got to make, like, pancakes or something like that. I don't know. I don't eat that many pancakes, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Ooh, I should make pancakes. Pancakes are always good. They're so good. So, so you go C minus, I go D plus. Is that yeah. what you said, C minus? I said or C, C, solid C. C? Okay. Solid C student. Seven and a half. I, I, I dig <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Well, that's all I have to say about Ghost. 
Um, are you working on anything new other than what you talked about last week or uh, or whatnot? And then also, once you you plug your social media. Yeah, just gearing up for our big New York premiere. Very, very excited. October 14th, the Regal Union Square is part of the Chelsea Film Festival at 6.15 p.m. You can get tickets at the Chelsea Film Festival website. Um, the Heck movie yeah. is called Perfectly Good Moment. Come see it. I'll be there. So will everyone else. Um, I bought a great dress. I can't wait. <laughs> um, there you go. Working on plugging that. Um, I wrote a new script that um, is about a woman who falls for a demon under her bed, as you will. Uh, <laughs> you know, like normal. <laughs> An everyday occurrence, everyday uh-huh, thing. Super normal, totally, totally <laughs> standard thing to do. There yeah. you go. So that's that's kind of it right now. Um, and then just like the day job stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm on the Twitter, the Instagram, at Amanda Jane Stern. Those are the social handles, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I have a Facebook page, too. It's the same handle. Everything <laughs> is at Amanda Jane Stern. I'm very easy to Google. Consistency. You're like you're like the apple of actors. You're, you're consistent. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. Well, Amanda, thank you as always. And we're gearing up for my favorite month, Spooktober. Yes. So this is going to be a whole lot of fun. We're going to bring on some other guests, mm-hmm. some um, some of my friends who are, are very well versed in the horror genre. And it will be a lot of fun to talk about the films. But I've had a great time talking about Patrick Swayze. Crazy um, for Swayze. I cannot wait until Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar comes out. I know. Um, streaming somewhere, I should say, because I just want to rewatch that one. It's so good. It's a fun one. It really is. One day we'll have to actually watch the movie together in person before recording. That'd be fun. Or do like a live stream or something like that. Yeah. We'd get like 10 people to watch us, but that'd be cool. So um, I dig it. Okay, cool. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter and threads at dbcrazypod and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and give us film suggestions, tell us if you're crazy, or just send funny memes. Uh, just make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Additionally, we're also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy.